The Federal Trade Commission is this governmental entity tasked with protecting consumers from false advertising. If they discern some kind of fraud, they'll send a warning letter, or even worse, potentially, file a suit in a federal district court. They aim that all advertisements would be truthful, not misleading, and backed by evidence. They go for truth in advertising. For example, one athletic shoe company advertised that just wearing their shoe while walking um, would tone your glute muscles 28% more than any other shoe. They received a letter. An aromatherapy company advertised that using their products would, would mitigate or even cure COVID this past year. They, they got a letter too. So this agency is necessary because companies are always tempted to overhype their products or say that their merchandise, uh, something about it that really doesn't match reality. Uh, but of course, it's not just the advertising industry that does this. Uh, we, we do this. We do this. We say things that aren't true. We promise things that we don't intend to back up. Um, how often do we hear someone say to us or we have to say to somebody else, are you serious? Or are you kidding me? Are you messing with me? Sometimes we are. It's a joke. It's good. We are being funny. But sometimes we're not sure. And the fact that we have to say that so often underscores the reality of how often truth and words are divorced from each other in our society and in our persons. And so we approach the third commandment today, and the third commandment addresses the seriousness of our use of words. But we know it can't be limited to words because Jesus said our words flow from our heart. Paul said our lives are like a visible epistle, a letter to people. Another way we can relate the third to the first two is that the first speaks of the object of worship, the true God. The second speaks of the manner of worship, not by our invention, but by God's prescription in his word. And the third speaks of the spirit of worship, our attitude, our heart in worship, authenticity, reverence. It aims that we be truthful and not misleading and back it up with evidence. That's what the third commandment goes for. So let's read it real briefly. Exodus 20, verse seven, the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The grass withers and the flowers fade, and this, this good word endures forever. So three questions about it. Why is it so important? And what does it entail? And then how do we keep it? So why is it so important? The reason this commandment is so important the reason we obey this commandment is so important is that God's name is so important. 
I mean, names of people we love are special to us. I mean, sometimes we give our children names because of what it means. We've looked that up. Or because we name them after people we admire, maybe a family member we really respected. Other times, we just like the name. We got that book of names and scoured it and found one we really liked. But even if that's the case, we just picked a name that we liked, once we attach that name to our child, it, it changes, it transforms, it becomes very significant to us. A name of a loved one is precious to us. The name comes to embody the person for us. On July 4th, we ride down the streets and we see all these flags, this just fabric with colors on it, but for us, it means something. It represents our country in a similar way a name does that. Well, look at the stress in this commandment that God places on his name. You see, the first commandment uh, and the first two commandments are in first person, essentially. The first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. The second ends up saying, I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. God speaking in first person. The most natural way the third commandment would be spoken is, you shall not take my name in vain. But God wants to stress his name. He speaks in third person. He says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And he prohibits taking any of his names in vain, but in particular, the covenant name for God, the Lord Yahweh. And at some point, the Jews took this so to heart, this emphasis on not misusing the name Yahweh, that they ceased to even speak it. They ceased to even write it. But you see, the Old Testament uses it some 7,000 times. The point is not to cease using it. The point is not to take it in vain. In Exodus 3, when God calls Moses to Egypt, Moses asks him, what is your name? Like, I need to know that. Your people are going to need to know. It's not looking for a label, some way to address God. He's wanting to know, who are you right here in this critical and overwhelming situation. Tell us about yourself. Reveal yourself to us right here in the way we need it. God's name represents his whole identity. And in scripture, it's a, it's a sweet and dear thing for us how God reveals his name in the way his people need it. And so God looks at Moses and says, I am who I am, a mind-boggling name for God, speaking of his independence, his self-existence, the fact, the fact that everything holds its existence only in him, and Moses shouldn't fear standing before Pharaoh. And it comes from the to be verb, meaning I'm dynamically, powerfully committed with you as you go. And all of that, God's whole identity wrapped up in this covenant name, Yahweh. 
And later in Exodus 33, Moses goes to God and says, please show me your glory. I need to see your glory as we step out towards the promised land. I'm carrying the burden of all these people with me. And God responds, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, Yahweh. So we see that God shows Moses his glory by speaking to Moses his name. And he explains the name Yahweh here, the God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God's name is God. It's all his beauty, all his attributes. The psalmists so associated God's name with God himself that they'd say things like this, Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name? How majestic are you? Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. His name is his glory. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, all that's within me, bless his holy name. It's God himself. So the third commandment insists we honor and revere God's name, for to do so is to honor and revere God himself. And so what does that entail for us? What does that entail for us? And again, it's, it's a huge command. We tend to limit it in our view of it, but it's far-reaching. Um, you shall not take or carry or bear or lift up the name of the Lord in a vain or empty or worthless or false way. Some way that makes him seem like nothing or that damages his reputation. That's what it means. And we can do so at least a host of ways, but today in three general ways, by profanity, by insincerity, and by inconsistency. So let's look at profanity real quick. This is the first one that comes to mind. And in fact, you know, we might sit here today and say, well, I don't really say dirty words. I'm, you know, of all those 10 commandments, you know, I kind of feel like I got this one. The other ones are tougher for me, but it's broader than that. Profanity is language that shows contempt or irreverence toward God. And so in Leviticus 24, there's a son of an Egyptian father and an Israelite mother, and he gets into a fight with an Israelite man, and they're, and they're fighting, fighting it out. And in the course of their fight, this, this, this young man, he, he blasphemes and curses God's name Yahweh. He says something that denies or scorns or reproaches God in some way, some, some, something that drags God's name in the mud as he's, as he's in the heat of this moment. And it so shocks the people who know this command that they put him in custody to see what God will do with him. And God instructs them through Moses, take him out and stone him. His words are that significant. Reflecting the Warning of the commandment, God says, whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Uh, vulgar speech is so common in our culture, in our media, and in, in our talk. 
And as a subset of vulgar speech, this command specifically refers to profanity, blaspheming God. Um, Modern cursing doesn't really intend to curse God or blaspheme God, um, but it, it speaks of God as if he doesn't really matter. It's, it's to use his name as an expletive, um, to add color to what we're talking about, to add force, to punctuate what we're saying, even sometimes just as a gap filler. It's that common. It's almost like we, we, we take it for granted. And yet the Hebrew word for, for glory is the word kavod, and it's a, it's a, it's a heavy word. It's a, it's a beautiful word. It actually means weight and burden. God's glory is the fact that he matters, that he's weighty, that he's significant, that he's, that he's valuable. Our profanity in, invokes God in a light and frivolous and meaningless way. Some phrases we do cringe at, and we should cringe at, just calling on God to damn something that's trivial, or using Jesus Christ's name. We, we, we recoil at that, rightly so. But there are phrases we, we use. There's such a thing as, as a Christian profanity, kind of an inoculated profanity that, that we fall into, we slip into. And it almost sounds nitpicky to raise it. We say, oh my God. We say, OMG, or gosh, or my goodness. That's a euphemism for my God, or good gracious, God gracious, or holy whatever, and the list just goes on. There's a host of ways that I do this, that we do this. Uh, the, the point isn't how bad they are, but rather how they present God and the subtle danger that he is made common or lesser in our speech and the effect that has on our heart and our reverence and our respect and our awe and our wonder. See, they treat the Lord, the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer, the provider, the covenant maker, the covenant keeper, the very God of the Exodus who is weighty. They treat him as, as unimportant, as, as not very precious. And so Jesus says in his Lord's prayer, the first thing he says after saying, our Father is hallowed be thy name. That, that we as a people hallow God's names because we hallow God. Well, the second way we can, you know, break this commandment is through insincerity, like a superficiality even, or even a deceptiveness. And I'm really thinking about promise keeping and also worship here. In fact, oftentimes our promise keeping, our vows and oaths are an integral aspect of our worship in a worship service. Leviticus 19.12 says this, you shall not 
swear by the name, by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. A way we commit profanity is by swearing falsely. On a positive way, Exodus 22 talks about this scenario if a man entrusted his, his animal to his neighbor and while it was in the guardianship of his neighbor, for whatever reason, it gets injured or lost or dies. And what do you do? And the remedy Moses gives is you go to your neighbor, the, the, the person who had the animal goes to the owner and says, I swear by the Lord, I didn't do anything to your animal. And the result of that oath, calling God as witness, calling God to testify to the veracity of his statement, was that the man didn't have to pay restitution. It was so weighty that the owner of the animal had to accept it. If you would say that, then I'm gonna receive your word. Jesus doesn't abolish the use of oaths and vows in God's name. When he tells us, let your yes be yes, your no, no, he's urging you not to swear in ordinary common things where you should just be a person of your word. Furthermore, he's confronting the Pharisees for this deceptive practice of saying, well, if I swear by God's name, I have to keep my promise, but if I swear by the temple or heaven or earth, that's another thing, it's not as binding on me. Jesus says, no, like God is everywhere. In fact, heaven and earth are engraven with his blessings and therefore to invoke heaven and earth as a witness is to invoke God, you keep your promises. And so in solemn, serious occasions, we call God as witness to testify to the truth of what we're saying in court to guard against perjury. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. That's legitimate. Even the Declaration of Independence, the beautiful document, as it winds up, it says, we therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions. Man, what a statement. We call God as witness to our righteous intentions. We take important vows, don't we, as an integral aspect of our worship. We take vows at baptism. A family does, a congregation does, before God. We take vows when we become communing members. We take vows when we get married, which are first and foremost to God, and then the husband and the wife. At the end of a service, we make a profession of faith. And when we say this, we're saying, I promise to live as a Christian this week. I promise to believe the gospel this week. These are vows we make. We shouldn't swear by God's name in flippant or frivolous ways. 
We don't say, I, I swear to God, or anything like that. Vows are serious. Uh, to swear like that first betrays how often we break our promises. Second, it cheapens the gravity of oaths and vows. And third, it calls on a holy God in a trivial, offhanded way. We don't want to do this. His name is valuable to us. Well, think also of your worship, our worship. And the third commandment has so much to say about that. We can come into worship, go through the form of a service, but do so really in a mindless, distracted, mechanical way. It's a battle. I mean, the devil goes full on to get us into that sort of rhythm. Um, we, our minds drift off when we're singing a hymn, so we're actually speaking glorious words and we're just not there. Or we may pretend to worship while really our heart is fixated on our idols, or we may give ourselves false confidence at the comfort of the gospel section when we have no intention of repenting of sin. Or we may speak the creed at the end of the service when we really don't want to seek Jesus' face. All of that is breaking the third commandment. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, Jesus says. Stirring. Or think about your God talk. And we, we evangelicals do a lot of God talk, and it's good. We, we need to speak of God to one another, but sometimes you know how things go. We can be kind of flippant or careless or really insincere in what we say, we might say to somebody going through a hard time, well, it'll all work out. It's an awful paraphrase of Romans 8, 28. What does it say about God? Or we might bring a conversation to an end by saying, I'll pray for you. Maybe we're in sincere with that, but maybe we're just needing to move on. We also tend at times to have lend too much authority to our convictions if those convictions aren't clearly stated in scripture. So we might could say, I prayed about it and God told me to do this. It almost settles the conversation. There's no more discussion about it when really it's a wisdom issue and you're being illumined by the spirit and you need counsel. We may be in theological discussion or argumentation. There's real issues on the table. And yet when we look at our hearts, we're treating it like a competitive sport. We're not submitting to God and seeking his face. There's a host of ways in which our hearts are just not engaged correctly. And so the preacher of Hebrews tells us, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and with awe. Well, third, uh, we can break it by inconsistency. And so here I'm thinking about obedience, the worship of our lives. One commentator says the name of the Lord can be abused without even mentioning it. It's to live in such a way that just damages God's reputation. It's when David committed adultery with Bathsheba, God rebukes him through Nathan and says, do you realize You've caused my enemies to scorn me. Or Paul writing about 
the Jews and Romans says the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you who profess to know the true God. Or Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do many mighty works in your name? And then he will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The senses, they professed Jesus as Lord with their lips, but they didn't honor him as Lord with their lives. God's placed his name on you. There's so much gospel here. You bear God's name. Numbers six, the benediction, when, when at the conclusion of the service, when I get to place God's benediction on you, God says in that way, and so I'll put my name on the children of Israel. It's not a prayer so much as a pronouncement. You leave here with God having told you that I have my name on you as you head out. At your baptism, as those waters went over your head, you were baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When you put your faith in Christ, you became a Christian, a Christ one, bearing the name of Christ. Our lives reflect God. We are children of the family of God. We break the third commandment. When we say we're a child of God, a follower of Christ, but our lives just don't bear it out, we break it when we don't live out of our identity. But even saying that is an incredible blessing. It means you have an identity that God gave you by grace. So a positive way to view it is Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Or another way to say this is, don't misuse my name, but use my name. I want you to, because it's, you're wrapped up in this name too. The apostle says in Acts four, there's no other name by which we must be saved. In Romans 10, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord will be saved. Use my name. Well, how can we keep it? Well, we know we fail. Uh, we know we fail with our words in a host of ways. We know we fail, fail with our thinking that, that drives our words. We look at this commandment and that warning, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. It's stirring, it needs to catch your attention, it's intended to. God's underscoring the gravity of this. It's a way of him saying, look, I take it seriously. Or like Jesus, I tell you on that day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. How do we keep it? Well, first, as I'm gonna say at each commandment, God didn't go to Egypt and meet up with Israel enslaved and say to them, if you obey the third commandment to my standards, then I'll rescue you from bondage and slavery. 
He didn't do that. It's a visual aid for you. God first went to Egypt and redeemed his people by sovereign grace under the blood of the lamb and brought them through the sea of death and took them to the mountain, made them his redeemed people and said, keep the third commandment as a fruit of faith, as a redeemed person. Treasure me, value me, because I'm the God of grace who has redeemed you. It's that grace that motivates us to use God's name in praise and thanks and gratitude in our thoughts and our words and in actions. And you and I know that better than Israel. As great as, as, as amazing as that event is, you and I know it better. We know Jesus. We know the good shepherd who calls us by name. Like he calls you, but it's illustrated when he looks at Martha, who's so distracted by so many things as we so often are, and he just goes, Martha, Martha. Or looks at Simon, he's on the cusp of committing a big sin, just looks at him and says, Simon, Simon, I'm praying for you. He speaks to you like that. He paid for your sins that personally. He's our great high priest who commended to us this promise. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Like in the name of Jesus. Philippians 2 says, have this mind amongst yourself, which was also in Christ that in the form of, being in the form of God, he did not consider himself equal with God, but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We know Jesus, we know all his attributes are taken up in his name. His name is precious to us. God says, you wanna honor the third commandment? Honor the name of my son. And in honoring the name of my son, we glory in the gospel of grace that's given to us. We glory in the fact that Jesus, the beloved son, makes you and me not just Jesus' followers, but adopted sons and daughters of God whom we now are authorized to call Father, the Christian name for God. And you're a child in the Father's house. And just like your children, parents bear your name wherever they go, even so you and I take God's name with us. We're just in that family. And God says, bear it well. Grow in the family likeness. Live out your identity. Don't misuse my name, but use it in prayer and praise and proclamation of the gospel. Don't take it in vain, but take it up every day and rejoice in that fact. Don't lack truth in advertising, in advertising who you are about God, but be truthful, not misleading. Back it up with evidence. And that's keeping the third commandment as a child of God by grace and all the privileges that have been granted to us. 
May we rejoice in that in a new way, even this week. Amen. Let's stand.